Hi everybody, welcome to a new episode of the Womanhood and International Relations podcast. I'm your host, Natalia Bonilla, and today we will be talking about post-colonialism and decolonization. This is a topic that we have addressed in a very indirect way, uh, most specifically with the uh, several episodes of The Burden of the Colonial Mindset, Part 1, Part 2, and Part 3 is still in development. And it has come through a personal experience becoming, you know, a Puerto Rican woman and all the colonial status that we Puerto Ricans face, you know, becoming and being part of the oldest colony in the Americas still nowadays. So we haven't talked about post-colonial theory or the different linings of decolonization, which is also a theory that is taking force here in Latin America and the Caribbean and what they all entail and mean. So I decided to record a simple episode to showcase the different dynamics that we can find in each one. And hopefully if you are interested in feminist, uh, post-colonial feminism or in the different works of post-colonial as well as decolonial feminists here in the region and across the world, this episode may spark some interest in learning more. I will list all the links of this today's episode in the description box for you to continue your own exploration. In order to understand post-colonial theory and decolonial theory, a good place to start is to understand the conception of opposites or binaries. We see in the international relations scheme or mainstream theories the construction of opposites from the first to the third world, from western versus non-western or eastern versus west, we also see the North and the Global South and how are these opposites as well constructed through the gender lenses. We can bring some of that in the post-colonial feminism theory, but first let's just stick to this um, first um, line of thought. The construction of opposites and binaries help us ask questions like who is the one deciding what the other needs to be named and why who legitimizes what the other stands for and what are the systems of knowledge in place that actually portrays some parts of the world more advanced than others we see it in the worlds, in the works of Michel Foucault and Edward Said, but also in a very incredible article by um, Zeynep Gulsa-Kapar. Um, her article, Eurocentrism and the Construction of the Non-West, is one that I definitely uh, invite you to check it because it places Eurocentrism as this system of knowledge that articulates across binaries that surpass time and space. It portrays Europe as a space separate from the non-West, but also temporarily advanced in the narrative of the international progress or you know world progress in itself. We see other contests to this dynamic and is who and why and what for um, the construction of 
ter uh, third world or um, global south were created because these two concepts not necessarily respond to a specific geographic space but rather to political projects and this is something that Alina Sajed as well as Gabriela Balestrin have incredibly um, uh, uh, explained it very well I will list their articles below on how these political projects are more than simply um, you know like a, a condemnation if we can see it in a sense of regions being dependent on the center or the core of the world like be it developed countries it's more about the different sets of unequal relationships that continue between metropolitan centers of control and the regions of the periphery that are dependent on this control um, be it through the way of um, ideology, be it on the way of culture, of trade, and even through um, commerce and neo-colonial practices. No matter if colonies are independent today, they are still subsisting in unequal relationships. And that's where post-colonial theory comes about. And there are three specific um, authors that I invite you to check. Um, all of them are male, <laughs> but there are some um, post-colonial feminist uh, women that I will also um, invite you to check. But there's um, three works that I consider um, portrays the, the, with, with clarity the opposites and the binaries that we are addressing. And one of them is Franz Fanon with The Wretch of the Earth. We also have Edward Said with Orientalism, and we also have Albert Memmi with The Colonizer and The Colonized. Franz Fanon, coming from Martinique, um, basically um, engages in the whole conversation of how speaking the French language actually makes you part, coming from a post-colonial or uh, independent island after you know the colonization of Martinique by the France um, state and we can say empire up to a point, um, how speaking the French language also makes you part of the cosmovision of the French. So you're basically playing a part in the hegemony of this um, past colonizer that you want to get rid of that you want to get free from and it starts a whole conversation on race but also on the picture of the colonized and the colonizer and how the colonized cannot become free unless he or she thinks of herself or himself as a universal subject in equal conditions to the colonizer and for that they need to strip away they need to um have a, a, a space as well as a time to alienate from the whole conversation of the friends or or, or the colonizer space or the colonial rule better way 
um, he basically, Fanon says that colonizer and colonized relationships cannot exist one without the other. So they necessarily need each other to exist through this specific identity. And it is important at this point to understand that post-colonial theory grew in part because many of these thinkers from the global south, what we consider part of the global south or from past colonized countries or islands, came to the academia of the Europe or American world. So that's how post-colonial theory took a flight in the 1970s and the 1980s because, you know, people from dependent countries or from past colonies were actually being at these top centers of knowledge and, you know, bringing over new lenses to see the South or to denormalize the way that Euro-American um, ways of view of the world were continuing imperialism through knowledge and uh, the production and the reproduction of knowledge. Similar we find with Edward Said who also has an incredible um, conversation in Orientalism as well as other um, books that he writes but specifically this one I definitely like it very much because it, it portrays how the the eastern cultures eastern um part of the world was was and still is constructed through european lenses and how orientalism he um defines this um this style as an western type of domination restructuring and authority over the eastern world so there's something very interesting because Edward Said, as well as Pivak, that we will soon um, engage in in this episode, um, both position the West through the lenses of the masculine, while the Eastern is seen as the feminine, therefore perpetuating and justifying with, you know, gender lenses here bringing into the, to the podcast, um, the, the kind of oppression and domination of one over the other. And we are not necessarily talking nowadays that we still are facing these different dynamics, not only in the way of militarism, or colonization process because what post-colonial theory is born is after all these past colonies became independent so it's the, the process pro, the process after the colonization is what we um, analyze in post-colonial theory but we also analyze the different systemic wounds tied to colonization that still lingers nowadays in these periphery or other regions that are not part of the Eurocentric world. Edward Said, as well as uh, Michel Foucault, both share, in a sense, this mindset that knowledge and power are inseparable, which brings us to the same question that I asked in the beginning, who 
decides what is good knowledge and what is not good knowledge and why and for what reason. That's what we seek to denormalize in postcolonial theory. Albert Mamie, with his book, The Colonizer and the Colonized, um, specifically focuses on the psychological effects of colonization, not only on the colonized, but also in the colonizer, as well as on colonial people. Because you can be part of the colonial rule and not necessarily see yourself as a colonizer. So there are several subjects or different ways that you can um, assume subjectivity within a specific context of colonial rule. And what I find very, very incredible about his work is how he portrays the different responses and reactions that each person engages in when the structure is put in place, when there's a definite decision by whoever is at the state level or institution or holding arms or, you know, um, having control over the army or over, you know, the resources of production or economics or, you know, like having some sort of power in a sense, be it through the imperialistic lenses, but also I can find it as well in other um, tribal cultures and ancient um, empires that do not necessarily are part of the, the construction of the modern state that we see nowadays. And that is how racism is integral, integral to the part of the colonizer and the colonized. And one of the things that I find very incredible about his work is that the colonizer knows always that it is more favorable than the colonized because even if the colonized tries to become the most prosperous colonized within the colonial rule, there will still be certain rights that will always be um, denied to him or to her. Um, I don't like that these authors are always speaking as the man as the only subject and they don't <laughs> even talk about women or other gender identities. So he's like, ah, oh, how can you like, <laughs> um, but I think, I think it's part of also um, the different um, context that they created these books, you know, but it's important to denormalize that. And once again, coming back. <laughs> and how other um, rights will always be strictly reserved for the benefit of the colonizers and how when we enter in a colonizer-colonized relationship, the colonize all the time, and this is not negotiable for Albert Mimi and we see it as well with Fanon, the colonize is being forced to be part of this relationship. So it's, it doesn't surrender willingly, like, yeah, I wanna be colonized, go ahead and take over my resources and tell me what to do, you know? Like, they both are very clear that this is a forced situation. This is, the colonization process happens through oppression. And you may be thinking like, okay, Natalia, like, what does he have to do all of this with post-colonial theory? It has to do a lot. 
because post-colonial theory asks us to decolonize the norms, to decolonize the way that we perceive mainstream international relations theories, specifically realism and liberalism, as well as neoliberal theories that even through economic realm or politics realm continue undergoing colonial practices to continue uh, exercising hegemony and power over other non-Western, no Eurocentric forms of thinking and behaving and acting upon the world. I like this article by Charlotte Epstein on constructivism and the limits that the constructivist theory has on ignoring the uh, power relationships that subsist in the norms that we continue engaging through international relations theories. And I find it very important to address how can we start denormalizing um, the matrix of national interest or the state as a subject to something that is actually open for discussion, which is what post-colonial theory can help us decolonize um, through asking several questions. One of them is, what are, what is the current world order and how is it dominated by specific state actors and interests and ways of perceiving and ways of constructing the world and why. And we have addressed this previously in several episodes that I will list below that are related to this conversation from the Great Fracture at the United Nations to the um, um, the new um, treaty to ban um, nuclear weapons and how countries from the global south considered part of the global south are actually you know putting like a, a united front against all those nine to ten states that have nuclear weapons and how can we start engaging in a new conversation to decentralize power i find it very very important and just to um, close this episode. I didn't want it to be so long, but I hope that it helps um, to to bring light into that. I will um, probably follow up on post-colonial feminism as a special episode, but here I just want to address decolonization and maybe one of the underlinings of Spivak, which I think is one of the um, top post-colonial feminists that I find very important to address here. And Gayatri Chakravorty Spivak um, wrote in the Kanda Subaltern Speak how the West continues to speak for, it, for itself, even using post-colonial theory, mostly male-dominated sphere, mostly male coming from the Global South, studying at Euro-American centers, speaking about the world that they come from, but to the people on the Eurocentric world. So she asked this question, like, who are we actually listening to? 
and you know it, there's a whole other conversation on feminism and gender which we will address in a post-colonial feminism episode but here i wanted to just showcase this because we often um can glamorize what looks like an alternative theory without actually understanding where are we falling into the rabbit hole and we look forward to your comments on the um, on our Instagram account at womenhood underscore IR. For decolonization, just to end uh, on that note, and we can um, engage in a whole different conversation uh, specifically on this, what I find very important is to highlight the work of Aníbal Quijano, Enrique Dussel, as well as Nelson Mandonado, yes, all men, <laughs> but also the works of other decolonial feminists um, from Oshi Curiel to Mar Maria Lugones to Adriana Guzmán and Yudarquis Espinosa Miñoso, which I will feature below in the description box, specifically on not only the colonization of being, the colonization of knowledge and the colonization of power, but also the colonization of gender and how even the state in itself can be a structure that is part of heteronormalization and racism and heteropatriarchy um, sphere of power. And um, this is something very important. The, the colonization is another set of theory that is sparked from post-colonial theory. So it was birthed here in Latin America and the Caribbean to showcase and also to resist, I think, the knowledge that continue coming from the North about how we should understand ourselves and what kind of history have we been taught or have we been taught told to diminish of our selves because we are always privileging what the North says about our history or what the textbook that has been approved through all these, you know, normative lenses of what's legitimized and what's correct to, you know, go to the North actually is stripping us from undergoing a process of reclaiming our truth, reclaiming our authenticity as a Puerto Rican women learning about post-colonial theory and decolonization, post-colonial feminism and decolonial feminism. It has really opened my eyes in so many ways <laughs> because now I cannot see the world as this simple black and white or Western versus Eastern. I definitely see that there are very strong and very present power dynamics on the way that we perceive the world and even through feminism, how feminist movements and feminist ideology, in a sense, continues to spark colonial practices. Not all feminisms, <laughs> not all feminists, and not all feminist movements. But the mainstream feminism, liberal feminism that we see in international institutions are privileging a specific sense and a specific type of womanhood. Womanhood, the experience of being a woman.
and what it actually means. And I hope that you like this episode. I know that this is very different, but I want to, you know, interview people for upcoming episodes, but also give you um, more knowledge about everything that's, you know, comprising feminist theory applied to IR. So please let me know your thoughts about this episode. We'll look forward to your comments. You can go to our Instagram account and follow us at womanhood underscore IR. Tweet this episode or share it among your friends. And thank you so much for supporting this podcast. I have grown so much since we started and thank you so much for, for all your support. Talk to you soon.